Amen. What a powerful song. What a powerful song that tells a powerful truth about our lives, that we're all fatally flawed in the image of God. We've all got terminal hearts. We've all got terminal parts. These bodies will one day disintegrate and pass away. And part of what we've been seeking to do in our last series, Our House, and in this series, People Are the Worst. Don't you love that title? So true, isn't it? So true. What we're seeking to do is make our way through Romans chapter 12 and learn together how we might find a way through as fatally flawed individuals live alongside other fatally flawed individuals who seek to all find a faith that can help us rise above. That's what we're trying to do. And in this new series, People Are the Worst, we're working our way through the latter half of Romans chapter 12. In the second half of Romans 12, the Apostle Paul outlines for us a roadmap for how trusting Jesus can influence our best actions to people when they show up at their worst. Anyone ever experience the worst of people? Anyone ever give their worst to people? Because ultimately, we're people. We're people, not just people out there giving us their worst, but people here. We're people seeking to do our best, and in the midst of it, we give our worst sometimes. Recently, while I waited for a return flight back to Miami from Atlanta at a conference that I was participating in, at, standing at the gate with other terminal souls all around me, the gate agent made that fateful announcement that no more rollerboards would be allowed in the overhead bins, and you would think people would lose their minds over that. And indeed, one gentleman did, and just like a World War II bomber, just boom, F-bomb, F-bomb, boom, 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 just landing everywhere. And I thought, come on, man. I mean, are you the only one on this flight? Just a few days ago, while I was strolling with my daughter in our neighborhood, and I was wheeling her little scooter around, this, my little two-year-old girl, we rolled right over a gigantic pile of you-know-what. <laughs> and I thought to myself, did someone, did someone just walk their pet rhinoceros the, <laughs> down the sidewalk? My goodness gracious. So I found myself popping leaves off trees, like trying to oh, take it off. People are the worst. I mean, come on. Right? I mean, we, we counter this stuff all the time. And then meanwhile, we do this kind of stuff all the time. All of us do. We've experienced the worst of people, and we've given our worst to people, which begs the question, when people show up with their worst in whatever capacity or form that might be, what do you do? What do you do? Do you show up with an equal or worst response? Do you ignore it? Are you passive against it? Where do you show up with your best? I'm inclined to think, based on my observations of our shared human experience, that we probably don't show up with our best. In fact, we probably show up with less than our best. Right? We retaliate. We mismanage our emotions. We lose control of our thoughts and give others way too much of our mind's attention. We gossip. We vent on others. Sometimes we might even harm someone else completely unrelated to the situation because we don't know how to process what just happened. Right? We spill our worst all over people. We respond in all kinds of ways. Some of us right now may even be harboring resentment because of someone's worst done to us years ago. 
A moment ago, I, I listed surface level moments when people showed up with their worst at an airport, when a neighbor showed up with their worst on the sidewalk. That happens to all of us all the time. But what do you do when a colleague, a friend, or even someone part of our Christ journey familia shows up with their worst against you? What do you do then? Or worse yet, what do you do when someone you love in your own family, someone that you trust, shows up with their worst against you? Those kinds of behaviors can change the course of a person's life, as many of us have either experienced ourselves or witnessed. And as a side note, to heal from someone's worst done against you might require the trained ear of a pastor or a therapist. And so we want to encourage you to take those next steps. In addition to devotional prayer, worship, and reading God's word, all of those together bring healing and restoration to our, our souls, our living souls, beginning here into eternity. This message may trigger past trauma for you, and if so, then on behalf of your pastors, we want to encourage you at some point during this series to take a next step. We would be honored to take that next step with you if certain moments or experiences from your past rise up for you. We want to encourage you not to bring that down too quickly, but instead let, let feel that, let that surface appropriately. We would love to take next steps. One of those next steps that I want to offer to you right now is a group that meets weekly called Renew. Renew is an excellent opportunity for all of us to grow in our hurts, habits, and hang-ups and find restoration in Christ Jesus according to God's word. An amazing community is springing up from there week over week. I highly want to commend that to you. But if you feel like at any point during this time over the next few weeks, or any time for that matter, you can always at any time go to christjourney.org slash connect. And my promise to you is that someone will respond to you within 24 hours. And if that doesn't happen, then feel free to come in and approach me directly. We would love to walk with you during these, during these seasons. This message today won't be addressing past traumas. We've faced those down before in previous messages and other series, and we'll certainly do it again in the future. But today, we're seeking to answer the question, what do you do when someone splashes their bad day or their bad decision? or their bad words all over you? What do you do in those situations? How do you live the Jesus way in those type of situations? When you roll over something on the sidewalk or when someone behind you starts dropping bombs, how do you, how do you respond in, in a way that would bear witness to Jesus in those, in those moments? You know, we don't control much in this life, but God granted us the freedom to decide how we respond to those kinds of situations? Do you live on the ground level, feeling the full force of the hurricane's wind against you in situations like that? Or do you rise above it into superhero status, bulletproof, high-flying living? You get to decide by the grace of God which kind of life to live. And according to God's word, every believer has superhero potential coursing through your veins, through the power of God's spirit alive in you. So how might you cultivate the kind of life that shows your witness to God's kingdom while maintaining healthy spiritual and emotional stability that offers your best in every situation? How do we do that? Well, the Apostle Paul outlines two 
primary changes in Romans chapter 12 that every believer must undergo to live your best superhero life. And the first change is this, that we offer our lives to Jesus by changing the way we think about our attitude from the self to Jesus, from the self to Jesus. Paul wrote in Romans chapter, two, ver- chapter 12, verse two, saying this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and so perfect. The war wages right here. Our identity begins here. Our thoughts live here. Our words and opinions and perceptions of reality all form here. So ground zero for God's sanctifying work in our lives starts right here. This is ground zero. Paul said it like this in Philippians chapter two. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Notice here in this short verse, this, this short couple of verses that Paul doesn't tell you not to neglect your own desires or neglect your own thoughts. Paul doesn't say that. He doesn't say, hey, completely disregard your life and disregard everything that you need and want in this life. Instead, he just simply says, think about others also. Don't just focus entirely here. Open your eyes to focus on those around you and those that God brings to your path, brings into your life. Now, thank God that he didn't leave us to do this on our own, right? Thank God for that. Because on our own, we can't, we can't quite face down the full force of those hurricane winds on our own. Instead, we need an anchor to secure our lives. And God graciously gave us that anchor. First in his spirit, that he promised to us, and then also in each other, in the church. You know, we're so much more than a gathering. We're so much more than people sitting together in a shared space, listening to a word together. We are Christ's living body in this world. There's something spiritual and mysterious that happens in this gathering when we connect all together in Jesus' name. We receive his spirit afresh, and lead on together. This is a promise that Jesus gave to us right before he went to the cross. In John chapter 14, he said this, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, the Holy Spirit, to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him in the same way that the world did not accept Jesus. Because it neither sees him nor knows him, Jesus tells us. But you know him. You do. You do. You know him. Because upon your profession of faith, you received him as a gift. Like that. You know him for he lives with you and will be in you forever. Amen? Amen. Then the second change that Paul outlines in Romans chapter 12 is this. We offer our lives to Jesus as a living sacrifice by changing how we view others through Christ's transformational work in us. So the first change is what happens in our minds as the transformation takes place in our minds. And then the second change that happens is that as that transformation takes place, we see others through that transformation, through Jesus' kind 
and compassionate eyes. Becoming transformed into Christ's likeness doesn't make us better than anyone else. It's important to note that. We're not better than anyone else just because we, we have the Spirit living in us because we're being changed into Christ's likeness. The only difference between us and others is the fact that we've, we've turned our lives from our way to, to back to the Father, back, back to God's way. And our mission in life now, our vocation, our primary vocation, no matter what job you hold, our primary vocation now becomes helping others discover the same truth for them as well. That's the difference. We're all terminal. Every single one of us are terminal. We have terminal hearts with terminal parts. We're flickering like candles, for goodness sake. Ecclesiastes says that our lives are but a mist. But for us, Jesus' followers, a bad day presents a superhero opportunity to help another terminal soul find and follow their Savior back to their Heavenly Father. That's what we get to do. That's what life in Jesus enables us to do. So now as we turn our attention in this series from the first half of Romans to the latter half of Romans, the Apostle Paul gets really, really practical from the attitude to hands-on actions that flow from a life saved in Christ. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 9, or I'm sorry, chapter 12, verses 9 through 11, he wrote this. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. I love that, like, you know, Paul's just saying, come on. We need to really lean in together on this. It's not enough just for your attitude to want to love someone or for you to follow Jesus and say, well, I, I believe I love you. I'm trying to love you. You know, that's not enough. We need to go the whole distance to really actually love someone with our words, our thoughts, our hands, our actions. To pretend is to lie, right? If you pretend to do something, then you're lying to yourself. And we're so easily deceived, aren't we? So easily deceived. Truth is founded on the bedrock of love. Love comes first. We love because Jesus first loved us. And so as we come to a saving knowledge of that love for us, then it's upon that foundation of love that we learn how to tell the truth. And not only just to others, but to ourselves as well. That's part of the renewing of the mind. We shed the old scripts, we stop the old soundtracks, and we start telling the truth right here so that we can speak the truth to others. Paul continues, hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good with a, with a ferocious tension, as though nothing in this world can, can pull that goodness out of your hands, and nothing in your heart, no sin in your heart can yank it from you. Love each other with genuine affection, Paul tells us, and take delight in honoring each other. We're going to come back to this phrase in just a moment. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically with a passion. Here Paul gets so practical. If you hate anything, Paul says, if you want to hate anything in this life, we don't hate people. The war is not against flesh and blood. So if you find yourself wanting to battle with flesh and blood, then we're fighting the wrong battles. The war isn't against each other, Paul says. We hate the opposite of what Jesus loves. And what does Jesus love? He loves people. He loves you. 
He loves me. He loves those not yet here in this room. He loves people who right now hate him. That's how much Jesus loves. And what Jesus hates is anything that harms people. Anything that harms you. Anything that harms those not yet here. Oh my goodness, Jesus hates that with a ferocious passion. He hates it so much that he went to the cross for us and he died for us because he hates that so much. That's the extent to which Jesus showed his hate against sin. Amen. God's word calls that sin. Sin unravels. I think a way to to think about sin is it unravels creation. You know, if Jesus sought to repair creation and bring it back to rights, then sin is anything that undoes all of that. So if you're speaking words that undoes someone in all the wrong ways, then you're sinning against that person. I'm sinning against that person. We're doing our worst against that person. Paul says, hate that. (laughs) And get that out of your life. And instead, hold tightly to what is good. Now, what is good? The Old Testament prophet Micah defined what is good for God's people. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, This Old Testament prophet that lived a few hundred years before Paul lived wrote this, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right in this world, to essentially put back together what's wrong in this world, which means we actively oppose sin, which undoes goodness. We do what's right in this world. We love mercy, which means we withhold our punishment from what people deserve. And to walk humbly with your God. If you do right in this world, then you won't need to fear anyone or anything because your conscience will be clean. You won't need to worry about that thread of lie that you feel like you need to continually build upon. You won't need to worry about those things. You'll be able to live free. If you love mercy, then you won't need to carry the burden of another person's wrong against you because you forgave just as in Christ God has forgiven you. And if you walk humbly with your God, then you won't need to concern yourself with being God. Instead, you will be free to pursue love and honor with pure delight. I want to focus here on this word honor just for a moment because Paul does something really interesting in the Greek text with this word. The Greek word for honor appears, or the Greek word for delight appears only one time in the whole New Testament, this particular use of delight appears only one time in the whole New Testament. It's this Greek word, progeomai, which literally translates to go first and lead the way. Which on a surface level reading, you might wonder, well, how does that get translated to delight? Well, if you delight in something, then you lead the way to pursue it. Right? If you delight in your spouse, you lead the way in pursuing your spouse. If you delight in this one kind of activity, then you pursue and lead the way to that activity. The Christian Standard Bible, a more literal translation of the original languages, translates this verse saying this, take the lead in honoring one another. What an interesting turn of that word. So perhaps a closer reading of what the Apostle Paul intended is to lead the way. Lead the way in honor and love. Now what does honor mean? In our kids' ministry, We define honor for our children. We gave Bibles to our kindergartners and first graders. They're literally learning this this virtue in the rhythm of their year with us. 
they define honor as showing the same value for others that God places on them. What a simple, easy definition for honor. And Paul here is telling us, lead the way on that. So at your next meeting at the office, or the next time you gather together around the table with your family, with your friends, the next time you go and recreate, wherever that might be, make it your mission to lead the way to show the same value that God sees for that other individual. Make it your mission to lead the way on that. Get there first. In fact, go ahead and tell yourself, I'm going to be the first one to show honor in this meeting. And if I, get in, if I arrive in second place, I'm putting that in the yellow column. Because I want to get there first before anyone else. If we're going to lead the way doing anything, let's lead the way in showing value. And showing love to people even if they give us their worst. Now, I'm not asking you here or saying that you need to cast your pearls before swine here. I'm not saying that because there are moments and situations that happen in our lives when such harm is done against us that to show honor in response would be entirely inappropriate. But what I am saying here is that when someone shows up with a bad day, when someone starts splashing their bad words all over you, see it as your opportunity to show honor and to live the superhero life to show good, to demonstrate good and love back to that other individual. The passage closes in verses 12 and 13 saying this. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. And keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Do these things, Paul says, and you'll be bulletproof. Bulletproof in this life against whatever bad day, bad experience, bad word that someone someone puts all over you. Amen? Man, Romans 12 is a how-to manual, and it's so simple. It's filled with all different types of, of ways that we can adjust our attitudes, of ways that we can put our hands to good work. In fact, in the early part of Romans 12, it talks about different gifts that each believer has when they receive Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior to help navigate the issues that arise when terminal souls all come together. Humble servant hearted love is at the heart of this chapter. But let's face it, at least for just a moment, that humble servant heart of love feels so counterintuitive in this life, doesn't it? Oh my goodness, it feels so counterintuitive. On the one hand, I want it, but on the other hand, if I just might be honest with you, I cringe at it. I cringe when I think about humble servant heart of love because it's so hard. You know, when I step into a pile of something, literally and metaphorically, man, sometimes one of the first things I want to do is release the goodness that I experience in Christ Jesus and latch on to my Irish heritage. <laughs> Which I'm ashamed to say goes deep into the soil of anger and aggression. I'm ashamed to say that. But when I find myself engaging with people's worst, oftentimes my gut response goes to my heritage and not to my savior, maybe you can relate. When I shared this message with a couple of friends, they said, you know, that doesn't just go for Irish people. <laughs> We're people, right? We're people. But when we follow our pride, that journey doesn't end on Redemption Road, does it? It ends in divorce. It ends in termination. It ends with our children not wanting to 
grow closer to us. It ends with friends that fade away. It ends with spiraling emotional health. When we follow our pride and live justified according to our pride, we don't end on Redemption Road. We end in death and dismay. Is justifying your pride worth every good thing in your life? I think that's what Jesus meant when he said, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. Man, I can just imagine Jesus' expression when he said that. It's like, you want to lose your life? It's the only thing we have. But if you give up your life for my sake, Jesus says, then you will save it. And this soul of ours will follow Jesus into eternity and live forever restored to our Heavenly Father. When all that old sinful devilish pride rises up and you don't give a single moment of your life to that. Because in reality, what Jesus did on the cross completely removed its power from us. And so whatever power that we believe it has, that's power that we give to it. It's not, it's not power that intrinsically exists within us. It's power that we assign to it. And so when we feel it's nudge, when we feel like it's leading us back into that old self, we remember Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, which says, my, sin, my old sinful self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I will live in this earthly body, trusting in the Son of God and believing for his love for me, who offered his life for mine. We cling to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. If you want a simple definition of the gospel, there it is in one single verse. We receive Christ's death by faith as our own to satisfy the consequence of death for our sin. We can't do anything to earn this. His sacrifice covers our lives in his grace. Jesus traded our death for his death so that we might live forever reconciled and restored to our Heavenly Father. This is your starting point for living the superhero bulletproof high-flying life. This is how it starts. And when people show up at their worst, we show up with our best. So how do we do this? First, this week, when the worst starts coming to you, we remember who lives in you. Remember who lives in you. You are terminal, and so is the person on the other side of you. But in Christ, your soul lives forever. So live and lead with that perspective in mind. Let your Father's kingdom and promised inheritance guide your actions and see beyond the moment into eternity. Second, be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. Stay present in the truth about your thoughts and emotions. Pay attention to them. Don't ignore them. If you ignore them, then they might come out unexpectedly in different ways and maybe even worse. So pay attention to them, but invite God's spirit to show you areas in your life that need the light of his truth on your emotions. This might be an opportunity for you to say, okay, I'm feeling really frustrated in this moment. I'm feeling like what's happening right now is tagging up with something in my history. And so Lord, I'm reminded right now that my old self has been crucified. It is no longer I who live, but you who lives in me. Our awareness of God's grace reminds us that Paul didn't condemn us because of our bad days. So let's not condemn others for their bad day. Third, play the long game. Don't define someone by their bad day. Extend grace and hospitality. Pray for them, even in the moment. You might even need to step back a little bit. 
You might need even to excuse yourself from the situation for just a moment and then re-engage with the proper perspective and mindset that allows you to fully see the other person in the way that Jesus sees that terminal soul. Fourth, have proper confidence in yourself. Nothing can remove Christ's spirit and promise from you. So you have nothing to fear. The author of Hebrews said it like this. We can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? The answer to that rhetorical question is nothing. There's nothing that anyone can do to you because you've been given superhero status with Jesus' spirit alive in you. You're truly bulletproof. Truly bulletproof. Truly. Amen. And so as we seek to live this life, the only thing we risk to lose is our pride. It's the only thing we risk to lose, and we stand to gain everything, living this superhero way. Finally, be the change you want to see in your part of our world together. Jesus called you leaven to raise the bread of our city loaf together. He didn't say that about any government, about any education structure. He said that about you, about you. Now, we need those structures. And so the change that we desire to see through those structures needs to happen through you, through you participating in our city, for you living the Romans 12 way in your business, in whatever area of influence that you might have. And then as we do that, we seek to practice Romans 12 in every part of our life and move from selfishness to servanthood. Servanthood doesn't mean servitude. It doesn't mean we just let whatever happen to us. It means that my powers are showing up to help. I'm showing up with my full self, with everything in me, with my energy, with my competencies, with my gifts, with my abilities. I'm gonna fully show up to help this situation and see the other person as an opportunity to lift this terminal soul into the same saving knowledge of truth that lives in me. So are you willing to help? Are you willing to help? Servanthood is how we honor Christ and one another. You know, what I love about our house, the Christ Journey house, is that we represent every neighborhood from our city. So let's do our part beside every other Christ-centered church in our city to raise our loaf, our city loaf together. The vision for this to become a reality is one that all of us need to share and own together. And it's not as far away as you might think because it begins right here. It begins right here with the transformation that takes place through the renewing of your mind. And then when it starts here, it starts to ignite those around you, your family, your friends. It, it ignites your places of work and your vocation. It ignites those places where we recreate. And then, Lord willing, it might even ignite what happens on the highways in our city. Right? I mean, that it just spreads like a wildfire everywhere because it begins right here. That transformation begins right here. And if along the way we make a few enemies, then guess what? I'm reminded of what Winston Churchill once said when he said this. He said, you have enemies? Good. That means you've stood up for something sometime in your life. So if someone doesn't like you for living Romans 12, then see it as an affirmation 
that you're standing up in all the right ways for all the right things. Those in your circles of influence, they need you to stand up for this. They need it. Those who aren't yet here, they need this. They need you to to model, mentor, or multiply Romans chapter 12. They need to experience a different kind of life that lives in you. And so let's be encouraged and let's be strengthened together as one body, one church. And with one voice, I want to invite you to stand together for just a moment as we close our time together. In one voice, I want to invite us to speak together Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. And may it be our prayer that God's spirit meets us in this moment and leads us out into the week with this on our mind and hearts. Beginning in verse 9, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Lord Jesus, for every man and woman standing in this room, I pray that they would feel a sense of renewal in their minds, in their hearts, in their lives. Lord Jesus, I pray that in this moment, your spirit would fall fresh on us, that you would help us gain a proper confidence in our faith and trust in you, and know that whatever happens in this life, no matter what comes our way, no matter what works on against us, that you've given us the tools to navigate it. And Lord Jesus, when we feel so tempted to bring our worst to others, when we feel our pride rising up in us, help us remember that our old self has been crucified, that it is no longer I who live, but you who lives in me, in all of us. And so, Lord, remind us that we're not alone, that we have each other. We have every person standing in this room. to help us, to lead us, to rely upon. And so, Lord, this week, we pray that the words of Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 13, that they would, they would resonate with us, that they would stay with us as we seek to bear witness to your transformation taking place in us. Lord, we love you. We need you. And we offer this prayer in your name, Jesus. Amen.